in my local population here in middle Georgia, in a certain two week period, patients came to my office saying that, oh, the postman said he will no longer be coming to our neighborhood. The pharmacy just closed. The big name chain grocery store will also be closing. They will not have many doctors serving to care for maternity patients in this area. So sociologically, what could a pregnant woman expect in 21st century America? Hello and welcome to CocoaPods podcast, a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. My name is Dr. Bola Sogadi. I'm the host of this public education podcast. For our listeners out there, we're talking to Professor Hedy Hedwig Lee, Professor of Sociology at Duke University in North Carolina and visiting Professor of Sociology at Washington University in St. Louis, So, Professor Lee, um, in an April 2022 study by the Pew Research Center in D.C., reported by Carrie Funk, a majority of Black adults say less access to quality medical care where they live is a major reason why they, as Black people in the United States, generally have worse health outcomes than other adults. In my local population here in middle Georgia, in a certain two-week period while I was preparing for this podcast, patients came to my office reporting, saying that the postman said he will no longer be coming to our neighborhood. The pharmacy just closed. So can you send my prescriptions to a new pharmacy? And the big name chain grocery store where they obtain their groceries will also be closing and it is to open in another part of town. And now they are left with a small convenience store. So assuming big assumption that these are high crime areas, they will not have any or many doctors serving to care for maternity patients in this area. You know, healthcare personnel will not risk their lives. So sociologically, (laughs) what could a pregnant woman living in these assumed areas expect in 21st century America? So this hypothetical situation I described was actually real for one of Mm -hmm. my clients. And she's a pregnant woman living in that area. So what should she expect from 21st century America? You know, I think you bring up an important point. The U.S. continues to be, in many areas, highly segregated. And with segregation comes lots of things. Segregation means that communities are isolated economically, but also they lack safe places and spaces for recreation. As you mentioned, food deserts, no grocery stores for the ability to purchase affordable, healthy food, lack of public 
good public transportation for individuals to be able to access and get to a healthcare provider's lack of access to hospitals, especially emergency room cares and trauma care. Um, so these are issues that people are studying and, and they do unfortunately fall along racial and socioeconomic lines. In terms of what expectations and solutions, I mean, I think this has been sort of highlighted in some of the White House initiatives at the time that there's a focus on trying to address inequalities. One, by better measuring, you know, better understanding what disparities look like, as we mentioned before, because we don't actually have all the data we need. And then by thinking about different kinds of interventions that can be done to improve um, individuals' um, access, not just to healthcare, but to safe and healthy foods, safe and healthy schools, et cetera. Also living in homes that are safe, for example, safety in terms of the the environmental conditions of the, the home, right? So thinking about insulation, ventilation, and the other kinds of things that are needed for being healthy. So um, it's unfortunate that there are individuals that are experiencing this in the United States. And I think often people don't think about these populations because um, these kind of discussions remain invisible. So it's important to talk about them like that, that you're saying. And I think that is a first step is one, just bringing awareness to that this is this is a 21st century problem. There are many communities that don't have access to safe and healthy water. Like, what does that mean if you can't drink your water, if you're worried about bathing your newborn baby in the water that is available to you, if there's water available to you, because there are Native American populations that don't even have access to water at all, right? So I guess what I'm saying is, it's unfortunate that that this is what the reality looks like in terms of um, interventions. As I'm a sociologist, I study, I often say the problem side of things. As I mentioned before, there are some initiatives that are taking place to sort of better assess sort of the issues of inequality and, and problems that the U.S. faces, especially along race and socioeconomic status. There are also many white populations that are facing, you know, similar constraints. And so there's some of that is being addressed. And then there's also, you know, um, lots of, you know, grassroots work that's being done too. communities coming together um, and, and advocating and saying this is not just and we need to bring attention to those issues. And so I think some of that's the case. Some of that is the case. So I wish that the expectation could be that we all live in communities that are equal, but we live in a very unequal society. The U.S. is highly um, unequal. This is a this is a reality. And, and so, you know, I think the people who write the comments on the bottom of these articles should do some more research and really understand the history of the country that they live in and, and actually what the contemporary landscape looks like. Because if race doesn't matter, why do we see these differences? It's not just health outcomes. It's where you live. It's like where you get to go to the grocery store. These are not things people can control. You know, Black women simply die more than their white counterparts from pregnancy and pregnancy-related complications. In this same study, it was stated that by and large, Black Americans do not express a widespread preference to see a Black healthcare provider for routine care. 64% say this makes no difference to them, that is the race of the provider they see. Though 31% say they would prefer to see a Black healthcare provider for their care. The experiences of younger Black women in the medical system stand out in the survey. A large majority of Black women ages 18 to 49 report that they are also more likely than other Black adults to prefer a Black healthcare provider for routine care and say a Black doctor 
or other healthcare provider would do a better job than medical professionals of other races and ethnicities at providing them with quality medical care. So what do you think is really at play here? The patients and their choice of the race of their healthcare provider. They're great questions. There's lots of pieces to them. The first is a recent paper came out examining historical trends in the number of Black doctors or the proportion of Black doctors in the U.S. There hasn't been that much of a change. While there are more Black doctors for subspecialties, et cetera, in general, at least this paper suggests that the increase has not been very strong. And so I think this speaks to the diversity and need to diversify the medical field. And I think this is work that at the large scale among physicians in general and medical schools are thinking about what this means for the future medical force. But this idea about choice, the reason I mention it is because like, you know, you have to think about, you know, supply and demand. And if the number of doctors is not representative of the population that they serve, there's not enough African-American doctors, especially when you start thinking about subspecialties, right? you know, your OBGYN to be able to meet that demand. Mathematically, that can't happen. And that shouldn't be the only reason why we're thinking about these issues. There's other reasons why we need to think about diversifying. And there has been some empirical research to suggest there's a paper that the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences suggesting that when Black women are matched with Black OBGYN healthcare providers that the birth outcomes are better. This paper suggests that. This is just one paper. And obviously, you can't make a conclusion about something until there's an abundance of evidence, but there's some evidence to suggest that racial concordance across doctors matters for health outcomes, um, but some work suggests that's not the case. And the reasons why that may not be the case always um, is because we also have to understand how uh, medical doctors are trained. And so there's been work to improve medical trainings for medical students and for residents in terms of um, thinking about race and racial bias and racism, and also trying to deal with some of the historical remnants of, of racism that continue to be shown in textbooks, for example, like the lack of representation of Black bodies in human anatomy textbooks and other kinds of textbooks that are used in medical training. Another person I can tell you, maybe you should try to interview at some point is uh, Kenny Dahl. She's a gynecologic um, oncologist. She talks about biases that individuals have about Black women that are also sometimes even held by, by, black, by black physicians. And sometimes that gets disrupted because of own personal experiences. But everyone gets training and gets these kinds of uh, ideas are inculcated or you know they're kind of put into your subconscious almost. Um, so ideas that Black women can experience more pain than others ideas around bleeding and like what bleeding means as a risk factor that are completely incorrect. I mean, so Kemi talks a lot about this much better than I can. She's actually a practicing physician like you. It would be wonderful for patients to be able to see themselves in their doctors. I would love for my daughter to be able to have some of her providers look like her for many reasons, not just because of for her care, but also for her own emotional well-being and her own aspirations and ideas of herself, right? There are other reasons why people want to have, uh, you know, doctors matching in uh, in different kinds of ways. So I think it's important to be thinking about diversity. Um, there are some studies to suggest that that these things might matter for health outcomes, especially when it comes to to birth outcomes. I guess the last thing I was going to say, I think you had mentioned that many uh, African Americans, based on their age groups, don't have a preference for the race of their doctor. And I think there's no bias there. There's like I just want to be treated well and be, you know helps to like become a healthy and thriving individual or pregnant, having a healthy and thriving child. 
I think it just speaks to humanity and just like wanting to trusting doctors and, you know, patients really do trust their doctors and they want outcomes. And I think it's unfortunate when we see these biases that, that occur sometimes along racial lines, but sometimes not. I mean, we've seen this too with police shootings, right? Like when we see these race related um, police shootings, it's not always a white officer, right? So there are ways in which um, bias also operates within our own communities and, and it, it's still racism, right? Cause it's still what we're taught to believe and understand about the world somehow. So what can really be done about this distinct structural racism geared towards minority healthcare providers such that there is a perpetuation of this cycle in which there are less and less race congruent providers for the women with the highest rates of maternal morbidity and mortality and or bad outcomes. There's lots of ways that people are thinking about this. One is thinking about pipeline, right? I mean, the pipeline to, to universities, et cetera, all of this matters. And so work that's focusing on high school students um, who have aspirations, some even suggest thinking prior to, to high school, right? So thinking about just the educational system, ways in which we can improve outcomes so that individuals who have the potential and want to um, to be providers are, are provided with a, a pathway to that. And so in my mind, this circles to the beginning questions, right? Like all the things we talked about before, those impact kids, right? So kids who don't have access to healthy foods, don't have access to safe places to play or are having um, parents who are stressed because of income issues, et cetera. These things impact you from being a small child and impact your trajectory. And so to be honest, I think if we were to address some of these core issues like racial residential segregation, for example, right, in more concrete ways. I think, you know, that those are sort of, sort of the fundamental issues and population health scientists call the, these the fundamental causes. Like what are the fundamental causes of the diseases? What is the cause of the cause, right? We focus so much on the downstream part, like what are the behaviors you're engaging in? But what caused you to have those behaviors, right? Even small things we don't think about a lot, but actually probably matter more than we, we think could go a long way. And so we talked again about, you know, sort of wealth differences, right? What does wealth afford you? So, I mean, wealth affords you the ability to like, to go to college and not have to necessarily worry about the other expenses, right? Because college isn't just tuition, it's room and board. It's like your meal plan. It's like your books. It's your ability to travel to and from your, to your family. It's, it's a lot of things. And so even thinking about people's trajectories to medical school, for example, Many students may not decide they want to be physicians until they graduate from college, right? But doing a post-bac program costs more money, right? And who gets to do those kinds of things, right? So thinking more creatively about people's pathways to medicine too, I think could be helpful. And if there are financial barriers, what what are ways we can intervene? So we should think about large-scale interventions, like what are policy changes we need to make that are going to structurally impact, you know, things like wealth, things like where you live. And then what are things individuals can do and, and nonprofits can do in thinking through the pipeline issues is also something to think about as well. Um, as we move down, there's ample evidence that racism is a public health crisis in the United States. In maternity care, racism as a factor in maternal morbidity and mortality is highlighted in the significant disparities in outcomes when comparing women of various racial and ethnic backgrounds. 
And in the field of sociology, you study some of these things. What is the field of sociology? Mm. And why is it so important in helping us understand the maternity crisis in 2023 in America? Okay. Um, so sociology is a really broad field. We study human societies and we try to understand why and how societies are created, how they change over time, etc. There's many ways to be a sociologist, many methods and sub areas of sociology that people study. For example, interviewing individuals to better understand things like our human culture, understand family life, etc. So for example, I would define myself as a sociologist and demographer, which means that I use a lot of secondary data to understand social factors that drive health outcomes. So I use lots of national health data sets that are collected by the government, but also by individuals who received grant funding to study different populations. Sociology is just one of the many disciplines that a group of scholars that study population health. So population health scientists, as sociologists are interested in human societies, population health scientists are interested in the health of societies right, and populations within the United States and globally over time and right now, right? So thinking about the maternal mortality crisis right now. Uh, I think sociology is a really important part of population health research. We know for sure uh, when we look and try to understand the causes of health differences, especially when we're thinking about racial disparities, which I study, they cannot be fully explained by health behaviors. They cannot be fully explained by income differences. They cannot be fully explained by for biological reasons. And there's many reasons that's the case. One is because race is not a biological measure. It's a social measure. And there's been lots of work to show that. Uh, like even people who would have been defined as Black in one point in time may not be now. And if you even want to think more practically, like how do we treat then mixed race individuals? Um, most African-Americans are mixed race, but identify as Black. So if it was biological, shouldn't we be seeing sort of these kinds of differences if race had some biological meaning? And so this is still slightly debated in certain respects. But I think for the most part, we know that the racial differences we see, even when you do account for, you know, biological factors that might be helping to explain differences in health outcomes and behaviors, like I said before, you still see these differences. And this is the same with maternal mortality. So we need to look to the social factors. What are the social factors where we live, learn, work, and play, sort of bigger drivers than uh, the things we think about? How do those things also impact our health? Even differences in healthcare or health insurance status don't explain away these disparities. So I think sociologists are important to help us to understand those factors and also to make sure that we problematize anytime we, you know, we want to move to biological explanations when we know. People have done the work and it's it's not, that's not enough. We, we still see these differences. I do have students working with me. How does a high school student approach being a sociologist? For my students working with me and for high school students, how can they approach being a sociologist? If you're interested in sociology, definitely take sociology classes when you go to college. But if you're interested in sociology now, I think reading around these topics are really good. There's some really good books that recently come out talking about uh, Black white health disparities. There's a really good book called uh, Dying of Whiteness that was written by a scholar named Jonathan Metzl. He's an anthropologist and an, a, a medical doctor that kind of speaks to thinking about how do we use social science approaches to understand health differences. There's a book by Tressie McMillan Cotton. 
She's a sociologist. She wrote a book nominated for the National Book Award called Thick. It's really sort of a memoir, but she also, in one of the um, chapters, she details her experience having a baby and her baby dying and the mistreatment she experienced as a Black woman. That whole chapter was in Time magazine. So there's things you can read to kind of give you an understanding. I think it's important for individuals who, who, who are interested in health to know, like, it's great to be a doctor. And there's many amazing doctors like you who do this work and others who have, you know, MD, PhDs, et cetera. But you can be a social scientist and do health work too, um, like, like I do and lots of people do epidemiology, for example, um, if you are interested in improving and reducing um, health disparities. Well, can you give us the names of those books again? Are we going to have it on our website? Um, so one is Dying of Whiteness by Jonathan Metzl. That's a book about the ways in which racism, racial disparities harms everyone, but it also harms lower socioeconomic white Americans in particular. And I think there's a larger case to be made that improving health outcomes, reducing disparities, and, and improving like systems and structures likely will have positive effects for our entire population which is something else we need to worry about because not only do we have these huge racial disparities in birth outcomes, but birth outcomes for women in the U.S. writ large is worse than other countries, right? Even countries that have less GDP, for example, right? So this means that um, the U.S. based on the robustness of our healthcare and our um, economic prosperity do not match other countries who might not be on par in those ways, but maternal mortality is worse. And why is that? Some of the same things that people talk about as they relate to disparities would be improvements for the entire country to think about too, because inequality hurts everyone in certain ways, right? Wow. And the second book was Thick, right? Thick, See? yeah, yeah. By, by Tressie McMillan Cotton okay. with a, I think it's C-O-T-T-O-M. Yeah, oh. thank you. Thank you. We have been talking to Professor Hedy Hedwig Lee, Professor of Sociology at Duke University in North Carolina and visiting professor of sociology at Washington University in St. Louis. Next time. There are instances where people are experiencing bias and it's right in your face. She was yelled at and told to be quiet, right? It's like told that the outcomes that she was having was her fault, right? Um, when she was in distress, right? And, and she's not the only one who's written about this, this kind of thing. Thank you for listening to Coco Pod's podcast. Please visit our website at birthcenterfoundation.com. That is B-I-R-T-H-C-E-N-T-E-R foundation.com to learn more. This is your host, Dr. Bola Sogadi. 